Judges chapter 15. Judges 15, look if you would at the end of the chapter. We'll look at verse number 20 in a moment. We have now been in the story of Samson for a long time. I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a long time. And today we will end the story of Samson, and, and we might just end the book of Judges as we, we look to Ruth next week. We've been talking about the story of Samson and, and what a character Samson is, the, the last and final judge of Israel during the time of the judges before they looked to a king. And here in chapter 15, verse number 20, we find these words, And he, Samson, judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Now let me ask you a question. As you hear that, uh, isn't it our tendency to think as we read that statement that now the life of Samson is done? Because in all the other judges, when they were finished judging Israel, the Bible said they judge Israel for 40, 20, 15 years. And it was the end for them. And, and we just assume as we read chapter 15 that this is the end of Samson's career as a judge. But it's not. There's one chapter left. And it's chapter 16. It's been interesting to follow his life. In, in chapters 14 and 15, we see him seeking the Spirit of the Lord. We see God's Spirit coming upon him and using him. And now we find at this point, chapter 15, verse 20, it sort of just sums up his career as a judge and says, well, he judged Israel for 20 years. Now we come to chapter 16, 20 years have passed. And we find Samson again. And it seems that Samson in these 20 years has lost his purpose. He has forgotten who he was and what he was supposed to do. He's sort of drifting now. We live in a world today where people have lost their purpose. We look around and people are without purpose. They're drifting. They're wandering. They're living their lives in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and what they're waiting for is they're waiting to die. That's it. Or we see people who take on a cause and they want to bring fulfillment to their life, and so what they do is they go out and hug trees. And I'm not against trees. I like trees. I've not hugged one for a while, but I do like trees. All right? They're good for us. But they find a cause to hug the trees or save the seals or to, to fix the environment, and they live and pour themselves into these things. For others, it's a pursuit of emptiness. Looking for something to fill their life and the void within. Look around, my friend. We live in a world of people without purpose. They don't know why they're here. They don't know where they're going. They have no purpose in life. This is where we find Samson. I'm thankful this morning that we're in a place where we know our purpose. We're in a place where we hear week in and week out the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we were created in God's image and yet because of the fall every one of us have turned our own way. We have rebelled against God. We are His creation, but we have, we've shaken our fist in His face and said, I will do what I want to do. And God in His mercy and His grace came in the person of Jesus Christ and gave Himself to absorb the wrath that was due for us. 
And now, as God's creatures, we can repent from our sin. We can trust in Him. We can know what the purpose for which we were created, to glorify Him. We can be reconciled back to Him. We can know that He is our Father, and the wrath of God that, has, that would fall on us has fallen on Jesus Christ. And this morning, as Christians, we know who we are. We're saved. We're redeemed. We're children of God. We know our purpose is to live and glorify Him. And we know where we're going that someday we will stand with him and enjoy him forever. This is not Samson. Samson has judged Israel, and now, 20 years later, we come to verse 16, and here's what we find. Then went Samson to Gaza, and saw there an harlot, and went in unto her. Um, If you're not disgusted by Samson already through our series, you will be disgusted now. Because 20 years later, we find him doing the same thing that he was doing 20 years ago. He is fleshly. He is carnal. He is selfish. He is arrogant. He has wasted his life. He has wasted his talents. He has wasted his ability. And 20 years later, he's never learned the lessons. We find him with a harlot. Verse 2. And it was told, the Gazites, saying, Samson has come Hither, And they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all the night, saying, In the morning when it is day, we shall kill him. Remember, the Philistines don't like him. He's wreaked havoc in their world. He's killed a number of them. They recognize him as their enemy. And so there's an opportunity. He's in the city. He's within the city gates. He's trapped now. And he will die in the morning. Verse number 3. And Samson lay till midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of a hill that is before Hebron. And here is the story of Samson's life. He's in trouble. He's trapped. And what happens? He gets away. He doesn't get caught. He's inside the city. He should die in the morning, and yet he doesn't get caught. He slips away. There are some of us this morning that we think, Lord, I get caught at everything. Right? You, you can't do anything wrong. If the whole world is speeding down the expressway, you're the one that gets pulled over. Right? If something goes wrong and, and everyone else got away with it, you are the one that got caught. You can't get away with anything. With anything. But let me encourage you this morning. The worst thing that could happen to us is that we never get caught. Samson never got caught. And never learned the lessons that God had for him. Getting caught for the believer is a good thing. It's a good thing. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, but it says it's the, the chapter about being children of God. And the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that, that when we as believers get caught, it's a sign that we are children of God. You see, God doesn't discipline those who are not His. He worries about His own. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, God does not allow His children to sin successfully. Right? So if I'm God's child... I am going to get caught because God is going to deal with me as his son or as his daughter. God chastises his own. And so if you're getting caught all the time, 
hey, praise the Lord, it probably means you're a believer in Christ. Now quit doing the stupid stuff, all right? But it means you're a believer. And God's corrective act is not punitive. Listen to me. My sins were placed on the shoulder of Jesus Christ. God doesn't punish me today to punish me for my sin. Jesus Christ took all of that. He bore the wrath of my sin past, present, and future. I am complete in Jesus Christ. God's punishment of me is not punitive. It's corrective. And it's not pointless. Our God wastes nothing in our lives. Even my stupid foolishness. He brings all these things to light and works them for his glory and our good. But Samson gets away again. And it will prove to be his undoing. Verse number four. And it came to pass afterward... You're going to be surprised at this next phrase, that he loved a woman. It doesn't sound like Samson, does it? He almost lost his neck back there in Gaza. After some time, it's all cool. He loves a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. We know about her, don't we? Delilah. The only woman who is named in this whole account. We don't know for sure if she's an Israelite or Philistine. It doesn't matter. What we do know about her is this. She loves money. Not Samson. Verse number 5. And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and said, Entice him and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee every one of us 1,100 pieces of silver. It's a lot of money. There's traditionally five lords of Philistines, 5,500 pieces of silver. She will be a rich woman. And so, she thinks it's a great idea. Verse number six, uh, let's see, number seven. I'm sorry, did I skip something? Thank you. I've been away for a week, and so it's really hard for me to read now. Verse number six doesn't take much. And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. Now, now don't you think that's a strange question? And if you're dating someone, right? And this is a question they ask. Hey, I just got a question for you. Can you tell me where your great strength lieth? And we as men would be like, oh yeah, absolutely, right? Where, where does your great strength lie? And how can I bind you to afflict you? It's bizarre. It's really bizarre. And Samson's cool with this. And so he says uh, to her, verse 7, if they bind me with seven green whiffs, and and these are probably, I don't want to make you sick this morning, but they're probably uh, intestines from an animal that have not been dried out yet. They, They use these for bowstrings, right? So he said, take seven of those guts and you bind me with them. Um, I'll be just like other men. And so she does it. And and now Delilah will start a game that she's playing with Samson called The Philistines Are Upon Thee. It's a really funny game. She does it several times. And and the idea is that she, she does what he says will make him weak. And then as he's sleeping and wakes up, she says, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. 
It's a great game, and, and apparently Samson enjoys it because the first time she binds him, she says, the Philistines are upon thee. Then they were lying in wait in the chamber, verse number 9. And she says, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he break the whips as a thread of toe is broken when it toucheth the fire, so his strength was not known. And Delilah said unto Samson, Behold, thou hast mocked me. You've mocked me and told me lies. You know, she's really one for, uh, for honesty in relationship, right? I mean, I can lie, but when you lie, it's problematic. We're all like that, aren't we? I mean, everybody else's sin is problematic, but mine's okay. Samson, how could you lie to me? I pray thee there wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If they bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as another man. So... Delilah took the new ropes, like he said, bound him therewith, and they, they played the game for the second time. Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. And there were liars in wait, abiding in the chamber, and he brake them off his arm like a thread. Verse 13. And Delilah said unto Samson, Hitherto thou hast mocked me, and told me lies. Tell me wherewith thou mightest be bound. And he said unto her, If thou weavest the seven locks of my head with the web, and she fastened it, and this may be an, uh, a loom of some type with a pin, and said unto him, number three, the, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awaked out of his sleep and went away with the pin of the beam and with the web. And now i got to tell you something. I'm not a very smart guy, but after three times of being tied up by this woman, I, I would think there's something going on here that's just not legit. Right? But, but he doesn't feel that way. And she's all upset now because he's not being honest in the relationship. Look at verse 15. And she said unto him, I wish I could do this as a woman, but I, I can't. But how canst thou say I love thee with thine heart when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And so here she does. She does this, you know, how can you say you love me? You don't trust me like he should trust her. You, you don't trust me. If you loved me, you would tell me the truth. If you loved me, you'd be open. If you loved me, you'd be honest. You'd be transparent. That's what makes for good relationships, right? You have to show your, your weakness to me. You have to, to let your guard down. You have to cry at chick flicks. This is what it means to be in a relationship with me. This is what I long for. You know, real men. Just, just show it. I, I mean, this is my feminine side. It's, it's all good. And she's crying. She's crying over and over again. If you loved me, you would tell me. When we were younger, my wife and I, um, we were first married. We were married young, right? We've been married for 26 years, so I married her when she was about 10, all right? <laughs> and we get in fights, right? People in a marriage who tell you they don't fight are lying or they're dead, okay? This is the truth right? We, there should be, there will be conflict. It's part of being in a relationship, all right? Now, over time, it should get better, certainly, and the fact is we should grow up during this and learn how to do it the proper way, but I worry about people who say, we never fight. Matter of fact, we were with a couple years ago, and they said, we never fight, but we've been around them enough to know that they picked at each other constantly. I mean, everything was wrong. I got to tell you something, sister, that's a fight. You, you've just done it a different way, but she used to cry when we, when we got in a fight. Um, and you know what, as a man, 
at, at 18 years old, 19 years old, it made me mad. I know that's terrible. I, I just thought she was trying to manipulate me. <laughs> right? I just thought those tears were like, <laughs> and, made me, and I got mad until I grew up on it a little bit and understood that I was stupid and I hurt her, right? Samson sees this woman crying. He couldn't care less because she's a devil, man. She, she really is. Delilah is wicked. And she's crying and she's leaning on him. And, and it says in verse number 16, And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. He wants to die. Ladies, I think you underestimate your power. Honestly. Honestly. Women can get men to do anything. Anything. I just switched over from BlackBerry to the iPhone. You know why I did it? Because my wife. I don't even like it. I like my BlackBerry, but she pressed me and vexed me day and day. <laughs> You, you fellows understand that. It's powerful. Powerful. And a, and, a, and, a, and a bad woman can make life at home like hell on earth. And she vexed day in and weeping and crying and, and just a continual rainfall. And so, verse number 17. He was so vexed unto death, verse 17, that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now listen, it's important to understand this. Samson's strength was not in his hair. It wasn't. Samson's strength was in the Spirit of God. But, but he, he broke all the other rules of a Nazarite, right? Touching dead bodies, drinking the alcohol. This was the only rule he had not broken, so he thought that keeping this rule was a secret to his power. It wasn't. It wasn't. Sometimes as Christians, we think that keeping the rules are the secret to our power. It's not. Matter of fact, keeping rules are easy. You give me a list of rules, I can keep them. You let the Spirit of God work in my heart and convict me about my attitude and my actions and my thought p- process and pattern, it's a little more complicated, right? God's more concerned about you obeying His Spirit than a list of rules. I'm not against rules. Rules are important. They give us boundaries. But too many of us think, as long as I keep the rules, my heart, my speech, my thoughts can be bad and wicked as long as I dress the right way, carry a big Bible, cut my hair right, and wear my dress to the floor. That's not spirituality. Our strength comes by the Spirit of God. He is holy. He has called us to be holy. And Samson makes a colossal mistake here. He thinks the only reason he's strong is because his hair is long. But it was a sign to him from God. And now he breaks the very last thing that he was told to obey. And she knows when he tells him this time, he's not lying now. His heart has been exposed. He told her the truth. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of Philistine, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. 
And she made him sleep upon her knees, rockabye baby, in the treetop. And he falls asleep. And she called for a man. And she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him. And his strength went from him. Um, For whatever reason, he thought he could trust her. He thought he could handle the situation. But he couldn't. He couldn't. And so she shaves his head. Verse 20. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. I've got to tell you something. I, I've read this story scores of times. And it used to be when I would read this story about Samson and Delilah and, and her coming to him time and time again, I would, I, would, I, would, I would out loud physically say, Samson, don't tell her. This is not going to turn out well for you. Don't be foolish. But as I've, I've watched Samson's life now and it's unfolded before us over the last month or so. I'm to the point now where it's like, Samson... Go ahead. You're a fool. You've been given warning after warning after warning, and so he does go ahead, and she does what he says, and now perhaps the most tragic verse in his life, verse number 20. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. I'm going to shake these cords off me. It doesn't matter. I've done this before. I've escaped. It's been okay. I will just do what I've done before. It'll be fine. And he wist not. He did not know that the Lord was departed from him. Samson, you thought you had it covered, man. I'm sure you didn't think you could trust her, but you must have believed that you could get out of this one as well. And now he wakes up and he doesn't even know that the Spirit of God has departed from him. He is finished. He shakes nothing off. The Philistines come upon him and they're not kind. They gouge out his eyes. They bind him to a mill and treat him as an animal or a slave. Verse number 23. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their god. Dagon was a fish god. Um, He had a body of a fish, head and hands like a man. This is who they worship. The Philistines came from the sea, and so this was the god that they worship. And so now... Samson is incarcerated, they have him, and they're going to praise their God because their God delivered Samson, they believe, into their hands. They offer a great sacrifice on the day God their God and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many of us. And it came to pass, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may make us sport. And they called for him and mocked him. As you read this, I hope you understand that as we see Samson and his shame, uh, Samson's shame is also Yahweh's shame. Samson's the judge of Israel. Samson was chosen by God. 
Samson had a duty as the deliverer. And now he is shamed in front of the world. And his shame as they mock Yahweh and worship Dagon. It is Yahweh's shame as well. Christian, listen to me. You are the best Christian that some people outside of this church know. You. You are the best Christian. Right, where you're at right now in your spiritual life and how you act, what you do, your philosophies, you are the best Christian outside this church that some people know. You better be careful. Because your shame, it shames the God of heaven. Your decisions do matter. They don't just affect you. They affect your family. They affect your church. And they affect the name of Jesus Christ. That, that's not new to you. How many times have you talked to somebody and you say, hey, you know, someone, yeah, they go to my church. They do. And then they unload on all the stuff about that person who goes to your church. And then you want to say, oh, no, I really don't go to that church. I don't know them, right? What have they done? They have harmed the name of Christ. And I'm telling you this morning, you are the best Christian someone knows. And Samson's shame was Yahweh's shame. They are praising a false god because of his actions. Verses 26 through 31. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand, how pathetic, he's being led about by a child now. Suffer or allow me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called upon the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And I don't know if this is Samson about revenge. I don't know what his motive here is. If he cares about the Lord now, it doesn't matter so much. But he does cry out to the Lord and says, God, please, one more time. I'm a slave now. Just empower me one more time that I can avenge the Philistines. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up of the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brethren and all the house of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the burying place of Manoah his father. And he judged Israel for 20 years. Don't allow the, the humor, the drama and tragedy of this story to obscure the truth. You know, we see this, this spectacle in the, in the temple of Dagon. But understand that once again, the false God is shown to be what it really is. What it really is. Um, Dagon's a false God. And only Yahweh is to be worshipped and adored. 
Our God, the God of heaven, is worthy of praise and worship, and every false god will come to naught. Listen to me. We worship, we, we worship false gods. We, we, we put things in our life in the place of God that we, just, we, we passionately pursue, whether it's sex, it's money, it's pleasure, it's acceptance. We live for these things. But listen to me, every one of those false gods will find their place serving them as an Aaron's fool, a fool's Aaron and Aaron's fool. All right? It's a fool's errand to search after those things. There's only one alone who is worthy of praise. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy of our lives. And in this story, we see once again that false gods are shown for what they are. And one day, every false god will be shown for what it is. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father in heaven. Listen to me, my friend. We have the right one. We must worship him and adore him. He is worthy of our lives. And not only that this morning, but I don't want you to miss the fact that this God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, he answers in the midst of Samson's failure, foolishness, and fallen disgrace. He hears his cry. You say, Pastor, wait a minute. Um, Samson is excuse the theological term, a jerk. He is ungodly, he is carnal, he is arrogant, he is selfish. He got himself in this mess, he deserved to be there. I can't believe that God in his mercy would even help him. He doesn't deserve God's help. And I would answer that charge by saying, absolutely. But what's new? We better be careful. We have a tendency to forget our own depravity. Do you know Christian people can be arrogant? Can be self-righteous? And we can act like someone's sin, even though it's like ours, but not exactly like ours, is far worse than our sin. Christian, do not forget your own depravity, because when you do, you say things like, Wait a minute, he doesn't deserve God's help. Yes, you're right, he doesn't, and either do you and either do I. It's called grace. Grace. And we forget our own depravity when we fail to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. You and I are sinners, but we are sinners saved by grace. And that gospel reminds me that daily I must go back to God and ask for forgiveness to restore my fellowship with Him. And the blood of Christ cleanses me and it, 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 it humbles me as I realize that by God's grace, He restores me. Better be cautious. Don't forget your own depravity. It's interesting, we as believers, we highlight the depravity of others. Especially the lost. I don't understand this, but lots of pastors get up on Sunday morning and they preach against the world. I'm against worldliness. But if you're always bent out of shape because the world acts like the world, you're missing something, man. Because the world acts like the world. And so don't be arrogant and haughty about their depravity. That's the world. It's how they act. And you know what? We are called to love the world. Don't forget the pit from where you were dug out of. We're called to love them. And let me submit this to you this morning. 
If all the people that you love are in this room, and you ought to love people in this room, that's the church of Jesus Christ. The church is a glorious thing. We, we come together every walk of life, every color, every race, every social status, every, every educational status, and we come together and we're a family. And, and you can be nutty and crazy, and so can I, and we can love each other. It doesn't matter. We're, and you should. You should love people in this room. And, and let me just say this too while, while you asked. Um, you should love people in this room, um, and the only way to love them is by knowing them. Hey, before you run out here on Sunday morning and take off, why don't you stop and talk to somebody? Well, I don't know what their name is. Well, here's a, here's a way to solve that. You go up to them and say, hey, what's your name? It really does work. And if you're bad with names, and say, okay, wait a minute, my mind is terrible. Can you say that again? Rick. Okay, I got it. And then maybe, just maybe say, hey, listen, would you like to get a coffee sometime? Let's come over for dinner, maybe dessert. Let's go out together. Let me get to know you so that I can love you like a brother and sister in Christ. That's the church. But listen to me. If all the people you love are in this place, I submit to you, you don't love enough people. You ought to show love to your neighbor who's lost. You ought to show love to that coworker who is belligerent and unkind. You ought to show love to those in your life that surround you who are not in Christ Jesus. You ought to pray for them and tell them. You ought to make them a meal. You ought to do something to help them rake their yard or carry in groceries. You ought to do those things. Be careful and cautious. Don't highlight the depravity of others who are lost and do not highlight the depravity of those who are saved. What are we supposed to do with a brother or sister who falls into sin. And I'm not talking about a consistent person who names the name of Christ and they constantly go back to sin over and over again. They must be disciplined. I understand that. But when someone honestly slips and falls, what do we do with them? What are we supposed to do with them? What we usually do is we shoot our own wounded. Oh, you did something stupid? Oh, you're in Dagon's temple? You made your bed, now lie in it. Should not that brother or sister find hope in seeing that being cast down doesn't mean that they're cast off? Some of us, we're so arrogant. You better be careful. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. When you fall, you know what you want? You don't want judgment. You want mercy. And mercy rejoices. Judgment rejoices in mercy. In mercy. Listen to me. Christian people do fall. But we are redeemed. And God redeems everything, even my foolishness. And our God can take that fallen state and make beauty where there were only ashes. Only ashes. Should not we all rejoice that when we call upon Yahweh, even in Dagon's temple, he hears us. We should. And so this morning, if you find yourself in Dagon's temple, call upon the name of the Lord. Repent. Our God is gracious. He will hear. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if there's another brother or sister who has fallen and they're in the midst of Dagon's temple, then don't begrudge them because they're calling out to the Lord. 
They should be able to rejoice in the fact. So this morning, let me give you just a project from what we've heard this morning. Number one, let me say to you that our God is worthy. Our God is worthy. He is the true and living God. He will always mock the idols in our life. Therefore, we should worship Him. We should adore Him. You should leave this place, and after leaving this place, you should have a desire to know Him better. Some of you folks, you leave on Sunday morning, and that's your extent of knowing God until next Sunday. That does not work. You ought to go to the Word of God. You ought to meditate on the Word of God. You ought to seek to know Him better. And in knowing Him, you will love Him. And in loving Him, you'll want to know Him. And in knowing Him, you will love Him more. And want to know Him more. So leave this place understanding. We serve and worship the true and living God. And you should make it a project this week. That understand that He is worthy. He is worthy of our lives. We should prioritize our lives accordingly. Stop messing around. Stop playing at Christianity. He is worthy of everything. He gave His all for you and me. He shed His life's blood. He purchased you. He redeemed you. He bought you out of the slave market of sin. So leave this place in love with Him and seek His face and serve Him. Project number one. By the way, you can do that every week for the rest of your life. These are not just for one week, all right? Project number two, expand your circle of love. And I love people in this church, and you ought to do that. You have people in your life that you love who have never darkened the doors of this church. We have a neighbor that uh, one of our sons has done some work for. They're, they're not Baptist, and they were struggling. You know what? We, we took him a meal. We prayed for him. I visited him in the hospital. Right? It meant something to them. And I'm not doing it to get a convert into our church. I'm doing it because God called us to love those around us. Widen your circle, my friend. We, we, become, we become inbred sometimes. The only people we fellowship with is in this place. We have our own churches, our own youth group, our own camps, our own schools, and we never get outside and see the real world, a world that's broken and struggling, and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed and lived in front of them. And you will reach people that I could never reach. They think the pastor's whacked out. They would never come here. And when they come here, they find out that he really is whacked out. But you rub shoulders with them. They know you. If you're trying to live out your faith, you should be kind and gracious and loving. Expand your circle. And then finally this morning, make it your goal to lift up someone who has fallen. They don't need a speech right now. I told you. I knew this was going to... Don't you love people like that? I knew. You should have listened to me. They know that already. Why don't you lift up their heads while they're in Dagon's temple and say, listen, call upon the Lord. He is loving. He is kind. He is gracious. He remembers that we're dust. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those that love him. He will not always chide as far as the east is from the west. He will remember your sins no more. Come home! Lift up someone's head who's been fallen. Who's fallen. Galatians 6.1 says, Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Realizing that either I've been there, by the grace of God, I'm going there. I could, that could happen to me. 
lift up their head in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself. I don't like Samson. I like him less after this study. I wouldn't want to hang out with the guy. He makes me mad just reading his story. Right? He's, a, he's fleshly. He's arrogant. He's, he's carnal. He's a, a hardhead. He's, he's everything that you would hate. And yet God uses him, which gives me great hope that he can use anyone. And even in the mess of his life, when he's blown it all, he calls on this God who had every right to say, Samson, figure it out yourself. But he doesn't. He hears his voice. I thank God that I serve such a God. I thank God that he's not like me. There'd be, most of you wouldn't be here if God was like me, right? He'd just zap, done. I wouldn't be here if God was like me. But he's not. He hears our cry when we repent and turn to him. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.